My name is Ron Adams. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to introduce our speaker for this morning. Um, this was the first uh, conversation that I had with Dave King. Um, I had just come to East Chestnut Street back in 1998, and um, uh, I can't remember the occasion, but I called him at work. Uh, he was an administrator at Lancaster Mennonites uh, High School at that time. And I called him, and I thought, he may not know who I am. And so I introduced myself as pastor at East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. And his response was, so? Um, I immediately got a sense of um, both who Dave is and also how Anabaptists uh, tend to feel about um, pastors. Um, Dave and Deb and their children, Derek, uh, Ryan, and Lisa, were all um, uh, members of East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church um, for quite a number of years. Uh, Dave and Deb both worked at Lancaster Mennonite uh, High School, and all three of their children also attended there. Um, Dave says that he spent all of his life in Christian education in one form or another, um, some years ago, Dave was um, invited to serve as the athletic director at Eastern Mennonite University, um, and he accepted that invitation. Um, and uh, Deb, he and Deb um, moved to Harrisonburg, Virginia, so that Dave could do that work, and Deb uh, could take on the responsibility as manager of the Gift and Thrift Shop, which is an MCC, Mennonite Central Committee-related uh, uh, thrift store, also in Harrisonburg. Um, last year... Dave um, received a license for um, specific ministry so that he could um, act on a passion of his, which is to talk about the relationship between our Christian faith and athletics. And so since that time, I guess probably actually before that time, Dave has been um, traveling uh, the country um, speaking on that topic. So we are really very privileged to have Dave here this morning, and I would invite you to join me in prayer, and um, then Dave will share. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this occasion um, to gather together and to worship you. We thank you especially for our brother Dave and for his um, willingness to come and share with us this morning. We pray that you will uh, bless him and that you will use him to speak your words to us. We entrust this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I assure you that I will not harangue you with a sports-related uh, seminar this morning. That's something I do on the side. But I do want to thank you for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to come home. Words can't begin to express or adequately represent how much this congregation has meant to me and my family. You were an important part of our lives at the time that we needed you most, and I hope that we were able to help you in your journey as we fellowship together over many years. As you can imagine, Deb and I are thrilled that our son Derek and his wife Becky now live in Harrisonburg, and I hope that you are satisfied with the swap of Lisa for Derek. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not sure what it means, but she's traveling to Goshen this morning. <clears throat> I'd also like to give a special word of personal thanks to 
Sue and to Glenn Roth, who have agreed to serve on the accountability group that was formed out of my ministry in Virginia Conference, and uh, I appreciate their counsel as we meet together. And one final personal note of thanks to Kevin Martin for being willing to try a long-distance mentoring relationship, uh, and it has been fun to continue that. However, I feel a failure today since he did not say he was going to EMU <laughs> in a year. We'll work on that one. It's especially gratifying to be asked to share with you on Christian Education Sunday. I feel extremely privileged to have had the opportunity to work at all levels of Christian education. It seems like my progression of professional life has mirrored that of the normal educational pilgrimage. I began teaching at the elementary and junior high level, spent 14 years at the high school level, and now I'm working at the collegiate level and even rub shoulders with the seminary now and then. Some would say that I have lived a sheltered life <clears throat> by spending my entire career in church educational institutions or church agencies, Camp Hebron being one of them. I would rather like to think that I have was called to places where I could best use my gifts and flourish. God knows me better than anyone else, and he has guided and walked me in the journey of opening and closing doors of opportunity. One of my struggles as a young Christian was trying to figure out how to grow in Christ. It seems that Anabaptism moves very quickly past the cross and the salvation experience to discipleship. So growing in my understanding of scripture and what God wanted me to do in, with my life seemed to be pretty important. And I'm pretty sure that at least half of the MYF sessions at uh, Fraser Mennonite Church were under the title of How to Grow in Christ. Most of the chapels at Christopher Dock Mennonite High School featured speakers with neat, quick solutions for growing in Christ. The problem was that none of them worked for me. Take daily Bible reading, for example. I was often told that I should set aside time for reading the scriptures each day. As you know, a teenager's life is pretty busy, so I knew during the day wasn't going to be a possibility. So I tried the morning. I set the alarm 15 minutes early, and after hitting the snooze button several times, realized that I had to rush to get ready to go to school. So I tried reading before I went to bed. For me, the words on the page were more effective than the proverbial sheep that jumped over the fence and across my pillow. Feeling like a failure, I decided to try prayer. That should be easier and maybe wouldn't take quite as long. So I got up early and spent time praying. Not very long into the prayer, my mind began to wander to the algebra test third period, how I was planning to meet up with that special girl that I had my eye on, and maybe the basketball game that night. And for me, prayer in the evening was the best remedy anyone could recommend for insomnia. So prayer didn't work for me either. Next, I tried devotional books. They were plentiful around our house, partially because they become seemingly good gifts after you don't wear ties and you have enough socks. So I tried to read many of them. Chicken Soup for the Teenager, Seven Easy Steps to Be Like Christ, Chicken Soup for the Athlete. Well, then there was the issue of Christian music. I was told that Christian music should be my choice for listening. While I enjoyed some Christian music, variety seemed a lot more inspirational to me. Besides, we did go to church at least three times a week. My dad was a song leader, and our family sang together many Sunday evening services. So enough was enough of the Christian music. That didn't work. I even tried the WWJD bracelets for a while. <laughs> Needless to say, these strategies for spiritual growth weren't working for me. 
If they worked for you, God bless you, but they were not working for me. And I confess that some of those activities are still not probably a part of my daily routine like they should be. But during my senior year in high school, I struggled with how to respond to that never-ending question that they just asked Kevin. So what are you going to do after high school? While formulating answers, I began to realize that I had learned more about myself, about God and the world, through my participation in sports than I had from Sunday school, youth group activities, or chapels. Now, I realize that that may be a slight exaggeration, and there are a few ladies rolling over in their graves in the Fraser Cemetery. Um, but for me, learning and growing was taking place through my involvements and my life experiences more than from the daily Bible reading or the prayer or the devotional books that lined that brick and board. That's a nostalgic piece there. The brick and board bookcases that we had in our dorm rooms. I was taken back to the Bible verse that was the foundation of life for my grandfather, Brackbill. It was on all of his pencils, posters, calendars, invoices, Anything that was related to Brackbill's farm market had Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 listed. And it began to ring a new bell in my spirit. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. I suddenly came upon the idea that as long as I understood that God was a part of my activities and recognized him to be present, I could use that experience for personal and spiritual growth. I was beginning to understand that I learned best by doing. For me, the gulf between what I may have heard or read and that what I was experiencing was way too wide for me to jump across at times. It was in doing that I learned. The Apostle Peter tells us that we have, quote, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Further in that passage, which is the first chapter of his second epistle, he gives a long list of qualities that we as followers of Christ should be developing. And I'm sure it isn't an exhaustive list, but it provides an example for growth. And finally, at the end of that passage, he says something very interesting. He says that we are to possess those qualities in increasing measure because they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a formula for spiritual growth. That's active. That's alive. Adding these characteristics to your life. And I have been around sports long enough to know where the ineffective and unproductive players end up. And you know it too. Who wants to be ineffective and unproductive in the work of the Lord? These attributes are not developed through reading and prayer, but rather in the laboratory of life. And so I have tried to see God in my daily activities and recognize that the things I deal with, the people I relate to, and the tasks I am assigned are all instruments of potential spiritual growth for me. However, I should make it clear that I am not one who tries to find the spiritual lesson in the proverbial spilled milk or the flat tire. But I have become aware that my response to and the way that I deal with situations I encounter do have the potential to lead to spiritual growth or the lack of growth. And for those of you who may be concerned that I don't read the Bible and pray anymore, <clears throat> I have come to discover that my encounters with life often lead me right back to the scriptures and right back to prayer. 
as I find my way through the ordinary and the not-so-ordinary things of life. As we encounter life, we find God and we have the opportunity for spiritual growth. Knowledge without application or experience inhibits true understanding, which is a requirement for learning. I learn best through living as long as I am living to learn. When I first began working at Lancaster Mennonite School, I was asked to give leadership to an experimental educational model. It was actually part of the beginnings of the block scheduling movement. We attempted to run a school within a school. Our efforts were to find alternative ways to teach and learn because we realized that there are many, many different ways to learn. The existing model was much like a factory where at the sound of a bell, everyone moved to another station for 40 minutes. The teacher dispensed knowledge. The students memorized so that they could regurgitate the information back to the teacher the next day on the quiz. Forty minutes later, that scene was repeated, and so on and so on throughout the day. In our venture program, we took 25 students, put them together for an entire day with one teacher for studying one subject for about eight weeks. The process of learning took a whole new dimension. The relationship built between teacher and student between student and student, and most importantly, between student and subject, took on whole different meanings, and they were strong, unique relationships that allowed learning to take place in a very different way. The teacher was no longer seen as a dispenser of knowledge, but a guide and a resource through the adventure of learning. Educators have learned many things about the way people learn, retain knowledge, and apply facts to situations so that they can gain a full understanding and we have organized students and subjects in a variety of ways in an attempt to meet a variety of needs and learning styles. This past summer at our home congregation, Zion Mennonite in Virginia, we did a joint Sunday school class focusing on the multiple intelligences were developed by Howard Gardner. And each Sunday, uh, a different parable was taught using a particular intelligence that he had identified, and it was to be taught by someone who supposedly had that or at least exemplified that intelligence. Now, that was an extremely fascinating experience. And what, if anything, it should shake up the pastor because if you realize all of the different ways in which someone listens to what's happening, perceives what's happening, and tries to take that in in learning, it certainly became a very eye-opening experience for us in terms of how we as a congregation and how individuals grow and learn. Jesus knew something about teaching and learning. As we read the scriptures, we get a glimpse of the master teacher. In the Mark passage that was read, it appeared that Jesus was teaching way outside the box. The people exclaimed that he didn't teach like teachers of the law that they had been studying under. He even speaks to evil spirits and they obey, the scripture says. It gives the impression that people didn't listen too well to the teachers of the law. It certainly didn't seem to have the same impact on them that it was having on the evil spirits. I think it is safe to assume that the teachers of the law were using the rote method of teaching. For them, it was more important to know the law than to understand what it meant and how to apply it that was more important to them. Jesus' way of teaching was based on relationship building. The teachers of the law based their instruction on the dissemination of facts. Knowing facts without experiencing their application of life is not very helpful. Experiential learning, hands-on, is the most effective for most people and allows for a much higher level of retention. Being able to see, smell, touch, somehow, and see how something operates, interacts, and reacts creates a much better understanding of the facts that you were just given. 
Christian education is built on relationship building. The effectiveness of Ron and Sue in this congregation as teachers and pastors is greatly enhanced because of the relationship that they have built with you individually and as a congregation. A sports team can often achieve beyond their can, can often achieve beyond their own and other people's expectations because of the relationship built between the coach and the player and among the team members. In that case, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And the Christian Liberal Arts College, where the students have the opportunity to do research in the lab with the professor instead of one of the graduate's assistants, is a better preparation for career and life. The relationship between teacher and student is much better indicator of the quality of the education than the name and the prestige of the program or the institution. Facts can be learned anywhere, but the environment and the relationship between teacher and student have a dramatic impact on the value of learning. A young person can learn to fly an airplane at the Air Force or the aviation program at Heston College. I probably don't need to say a lot more. The differences in the two study programs should be quite obvious. In my efforts to recruit student-athletes to EMU, I sometimes encounter parents who tell me that their son or daughter's faith will be tested if they attend a secular university. I often respond by agreeing with them that that's true, but also then raising the question of whether their faith will actually be nurtured. Too often, the secular institutions are more concerned about disseminating facts and getting their students into prestigious careers than caring for, nurturing, or mentoring students. I acknowledge that there are many Christian people working within secular institution, but the main purpose of that institution is not primarily the nurturing of the soul. I am amazed that it is possible to graduate from many institutions in this country with a degree in international business and never travel outside of the United States. A Christian education seeks to integrate the passion of Christ for the needs of the world along with the technical expertise of the discipline being studied. I'm not sure there's a better way to prepare oneself to bring healing and hope and be agents of change in our broken world than through Christian education. And I celebrate the years that I have been privileged to work in Christian education institutions. In particular, I have found it both challenging and rewarding to work in Mennonite higher ed these last four years. It's challenging because as research has shown, the years between 18 and 22 are the years one is most disconnected to spiritual matters in their life. And yet that is the time that these young people are owning their faith, establishing their values, developing their worldview, and setting a career path. To me, that is a critical time for them to be in a nurturing, supportive environment. It is also a challenge because I often sense that the church wanting us to tell these young people what to think and how to believe. So while we help young people wrestle with the issues of justice, peace, homosexuality, alcohol use, politics, and so on, we are viewed with much skepticism and accused of not being Christian. It is rewarding, however, because I get to deal with young people who enter college with few dreams and goals and leave with a deeper commitment to be healing and hope in our broken world. I get to relate to young people who come with little or no faith con constructs and leave with a changed heart. The research clearly shares, as Kevin, this is, must be one that I passed on to you, but maybe your parents did, clearly shows that those who attend a Mennonite high school or a higher education have a much greater chance of being part of the Mennonite church. And so I find it rewarding to be able to help prepare the next lay people and leaders of our church. 
But since everyone is not of high school or college age or parents of that age group, I want to broaden the understanding of Christian education. The broader understanding of Christian education goes back to my earlier comments about how to grow in Christ, how to become more Christ-like. Education is not about facts, but about understanding and application. Therefore, if we follow the Proverbs passages and acknowledge God's presence in all of our involvements, we can experience Christian education because Christian education is becoming more Christ-like. Sounds easy, but it really isn't always easy. In fact, sometimes it's easier to make something else the priority for activities rather than spiritual growth. As I mentioned earlier, athletics was the involvement that taught me the most. That is why when I left high school, I committed myself to help others for whom sports would be their avenue of personal and spiritual growth. And so I have worked at all levels of sports activities. And to me, the main purpose of playing a sport, teaching, playing an instrument, writing poetry, being an attorney, leading a corporation, or starting a business should be, should be for personal and spiritual growth, making you more effective and productive in knowing God and making him known. Since my experience has been in sports, I will need to use that as my example. But what I have seen in the past 10 years gives me great concern. Instead of playing sports for fun and personal development, too many parents and their children seem to be playing sports for pride, prestige, and a scholarship. Why else would we allow our children to play on the elite travel soccer team, spending up to 10 to 15 weekends each year, thousands of dollars, traveling up and down the East Coast to play in tournaments, missing church, youth group activities, and family reunions. This past summer, my daughter told me of her work at Laurelville and a family who came and took their son out of camp two different times during one week so that they could play in a game. If playing sports was truly about personal and spiritual development, we wouldn't allow our children to specialize in one sport at age seven, play that year round, and secure the personal trainers that we think they need. Something is out of balance. Somehow our priorities got switched. The reality is that we are becoming conformed to the current culture rather than being transformed by the renewing of our minds and hearts. We have bought into what I call the new American dream, success on the playing field for our children, playing for the best teams, and getting the athletic scholarship. I am convinced, unfortunately, that continuing on the current path will cause more harm to our young people than we even recognize. And not only will our children suffer, but the negative impact will be felt by our families and our congregations. Therefore, the goal of my ministry is to hold up a mirror to let families see what is really happening. However, my my concern goes far beyond sports. But it is the area that I know best. I believe that the involvements and experiences of life that I have through work, church, and recreation must be used for personal and spiritual growth. It is where God will meet me. It is where I can understand the fullness of God's grace, mercy, and love, and extend it to others. So I ask you, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it for personal and spiritual growth? Or is it for prestige, money, fame, or status? The voices of the current culture are calling for some of these things. Are you and I willing to be transformed, to be countercultural, and to experience true Christian education 
by using the involvements that we have to grow in Christ, to understand how God wants us to how God wants to use us to work in the world. I can think of no better way to bring the healing and hope that our broken world needs and become more Christ-like in our daily living. Can we take the knowledge and the facts and put it into our everyday experience that somehow brings the reality of Christ to us in a way that makes us more whole and makes us a better minister of the gospel? May God grant each of us the willingness to see him in our everyday activities and to use those experiences to grow in the likeness of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for each activity that you lead us into. We are thankful that you are present wherever we are and that you have given us the laboratory in which we can take the words that we read, the conversations that we have, the knowledge that we have of you, and apply that and understand how that integrates with what we are doing. May we have the wisdom, the openness to find you in everyday activities. May we all experience true Christian education. In Christ's name, amen.